conservative? You bet. Controversial? Right again. It's time to squabble on The Jim Benson Show. Hello and welcome to another edition of The Jim Benson Show, conservative talk radio covering the issues that concern you here on the BBS radio network. First today, a correction. At the end of my last show, after playing the last soundbite, I stated incorrectly that listeners had heard then-Senator Kamala Harris, among other Democrats, stating that voting machines cannot be connected to the Internet. In fact, in that soundbite, then-Senator Kamala Harris was shown – actually, from the video, uh, Senator Kamala Harris was shown at a Senate hearing – on election integrity that she and other senators had just been shown the hacking of a voting machine. So we just wanted to be accurate there. These things will happen uh, when you're speaking live particularly. We try to catch the mistakes when we can find them. Before the 2020 elections, some Democrat senators and others had publicly expressed concern about potential security vulnerabilities, particularly hacking and manipulation of vote counts in the nation's voting systems. But, of course, since their hero, Joe Biden, supposedly won the election, they have seemingly gone silent on the issue, except for joining the chorus of the left, claiming that the 2020 elections were the most free and fair in history. Moving on, let's hear some views on the sudden, disorganized, chaotic, and disastrous U.S. withdrawal from Afghanistan and surrender to the Taliban, ISIS, and al-Qaeda terrorist groups there. To start with, here are some comments by the former head of British military forces in Afghanistan, Colonel Richard Kemp, appearing on conservative radio and television host Mark Levin's Life, Liberty, and Levin television program on Fox, August 22. Play soundbite one, please. Colonel Kemp, my question to you is... um Given what's taken place now in Afghanistan and it's ongoing, uh, and uh, assuming that Joe Biden stays on the same course, what are the consequences for the United States, Britain, NATO, the free world, and that area of the world now? I think the consequences of what's just happened and what's still happening are absolutely devastating for the whole of the Western world. Um, I, I mentioned earlier the, 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 the catastrophic effect on NATO. NATO is a very important military alliance. Many presidents have have uh, con uh, have uh, criticized it for not pulling its weight of the European member states in particular and they're right to do so but president biden has just completely destroyed its credibility totally destroyed it uh, single-handed and you know we're seeing we're, what we face now is a a terrorist threat coming out of afghanistan that is greater than the terrorist threat before 9/11 jihadists around the world have been celebrating the events, and, and not least the president, not that he's a jihadist, but the president of Pakistan, Imran Khan, who himself celebrated it. He should be celebrating because Pakistan significantly funded uh, the Taliban throughout the campaign, while at the same time being paid vast amounts of money by America and Britain. Um, but they're, they're celebrating around the world. Hamas in, in Gaza are celebrating what's happening here. Um, and, and they will be re-energized. They will see that their recruitment has been boosted. They will be reinvigorated and they will launch attacks around the world against our countries, as they did really when they were being inspired by the Islamic State. Al-Qaeda and the Islamic State are strong in Afghanistan at the moment. 
Al-Qaeda fought alongside the Taliban in recent battles. They will operate freely. It doesn't matter what the Taliban say to you. They will allow the Al-Qaeda and the Islamic State to operate freely there. And they can operate more freely than they could before 9-11 because they know there's no fear of Western intervention now. That, that's finished. That's history. That's not going to happen again. They know that. And so they'll be even bolder than before. And jihadists from around the world will flock into Afghanistan to train, prepare and launch attacks against the West. So the, the state of the terrorist threat is higher than it was at the height of the Islamic State's power when they controlled large parts of Syria and of Iraq. That's just one aspect of the situation. Uh, th there, there's no one really who is celebrating this situation more than uh, Russia and China. They're, they're the greatest cheerleaders for what's happened. They've helped to bring it about, but they, they now will be, will be emboldened themselves. They've done a great deal against the West, a huge amount against the West in the past. They now will look at the, the deterrent that the United States used to present and they will see that they've got pretty much an open field to do almost whatever they like. Um, and, and those countries that we had hoped to entice onto our side in the, uh, in, in, to, onto the, into the Western sphere, those countries um, will say, why would we do that? These people are clearly fair-weather friends. We can't rely on them. We can't trust them. And they will see Russia and China as being the more reliable ally than any country in the West. And so that will be extremely damaging for, for, for our ability to wield power. And yet that was one of the reasons that President Biden gave for pulling out of Afghanistan, that um, he, he, he would focus more effort, he'd be able to focus more effort on, um, on confronting China and Russia. Well, that's got, that's, he, this is a completely the reverse of what he expected to happen. This, there's so many other implications that I could go through. I won't go through them all because uh, I think those are probably the most severe implications. We're going to see China holding the upper hand over Afghanistan now, together with Pakistan, and they will use their influence together with Russia and Iran in Afghanistan. They will use that influence not only to enrich themselves by plundering Afghanistani um, uh, minerals and resources, but by using what they have there to hit against the West. So the whole world just became vastly more dangerous. The US government, the US government, President Biden humiliated the United States. He humiliated the United States Army. In my opinion, and I, I don't say this lightly, and I've never said it about anybody else, any other leader in this position. People have been talking about impeaching President Biden. I don't believe President Biden should be impeached. He's the commander-in-chief of the US Armed Forces, who's just essentially surrendered to the Taliban. He shouldn't be impeached. He should be court-martialed for betraying the United States of America and the United States Armed Forces. Here's some audio from a speech that former Congresswoman Michelle Bachman made as part of events commemorating the September 11th, 2001 terrorist attacks on the U.S. These events are being planned at Regent University, I believe in Virginia, where Bachman is now one of the deans there. This was played on the Gateway Pundit's website August 27th. In her speech, Bachman says Joe Biden surrendered Afghanistan to the Taliban, just as the previous commentator, uh, Colonel Richard Kemp, had said. And 
She states that he did this suddenly and mysteriously. Please play soundbite two. Islamic terrorists planned the September 11th, 2001 attack from the caves of Afghanistan. In October 2001, America bombed that nation and stayed for 20 years thereafter to ensure no safe haven for terrorists would be reestablished in Afghanistan. The U.S. went from fighting the Taliban to giving this brutal enemy an $85 billion state-of-the-art military courtesy of the United States taxpayer in the worst military withdrawal in memory. After 20 years, thousands of American lives lost and trillions of dollars spent, it is difficult for me to say these words. Joe Biden surrendered to Taliban terrorists. Under President Trump, America drew down the number of our military in Afghanistan to 2,500 U.S. soldiers. The Afghanistan government knew they needed to comply with a set of requirements before the U.S. final withdrawal. For 20 years, we had trained and equipped an army of 300,000 Afghan soldiers. Then one August day in 2021, Joe Biden bizarrely ordered the United States military to drop everything and in the middle of the night and without warning, leave Afghanistan with over 10,000 unprotected American civilians left behind, stranded in Afghanistan. It was a monstrous decision. Biden had no plan in place to protect or remove Americans from Afghanistan, and no warning to our allies or neighboring nations of his immediate unilateral withdrawal. The Taliban, by the way, is our enemy. Joe Biden had no plan to secure and maintain the United States embassy in Kabul. It is the second most expensive embassy in the world. Let it be said, the Taliban, the Taliban did not defeat America. Joe Biden intentionally chose to surrender American civilians and American assets to the Taliban. Biden surrendered $85 billion in funding to the Afghan army, including military equipment, uniforms, aircraft, manuals, and ammunition. This included 600,000 U.S. weapons, 75,000 vehicles, 200 aircraft, including more Black Hawk helicopters than Australia possesses. He surrendered all U.S.-built bases in Afghanistan before the United States could use them to secure safe passage of American citizens out of Afghanistan. Most importantly, Joe Biden surrendered America's superpower status on the world stage, and no one knows why. September 11, 2001 was a day of asymmetrical warfare. For the price of plane tickets and box cutters, 19 Islamic assassins brought down the New York City World Trade Center towers, plowed a jet filled with innocent human life into the Pentagon, and drove another into the ground at Shanksville, Pennsylvania. Over 3,000 innocent Americans were killed that day. And thus began our 20-year war on global terrorism. 
When the war began, the United States was the greatest economic and military superpower the world had ever known. Today, the United States is seen as defeated and is no longer able to claim superpower status in the face of this inexplicable betrayal of surrender to terrorists incapable of defeating the United States in conventional warfare. Joe Biden kept locked away the finest military equipment and chose not to use it to defeat the Taliban. Yes, the United States still maintains military weaponry superiority. We have warehouses filled with weaponry. But the problem is all that firepower over 20 years didn't win a war against Islamic fighters with pickup trucks and AR-15s. Why? It doesn't make sense. The defeat had nothing to do with our weapons and weapon superiority. It had everything to do with the lack of American political will by our politicians and a la- the lack of a political plan to win this war. Under Joe Biden, America's longest war is over and the United States lost. For 20 years, official Washington, D.C. and the military elite establishment chose to falsely explain our enemy. They refused to identify or understand the actual belief system of our enemy. And what's more, by the end of the global war on terror, official Washington had redefined who the enemy is. The ruling elite saw the United States as an oppressor nation. That's the essence of critical race theory. Americans are the bad guys, and non-Americans are in need of empathy and being understood. The elites portray non-Americans as the victims of oppressor America. In the scheme of official Washington, it was perfectly logical for the American former superpower to surrender to Islamic terrorists who practiced, they proclaimed, a religion of peace. In Congress, I asked the commander in charge of the conflict to come to my office, whereupon I asked him what victory looked like in the global war on terror. He was embarrassed at my question, and after looking at me with a combination of know-it-all pity, contempt, and condescension said, victory isn't our objective. Let that sink in. Victory isn't our objective. If that's what they think, then why were we there? Why were American soldiers sent to die? Why were we spending trillions of dollars on a war the elites did not intend to win? At that moment, I knew we were in trouble, and I knew that's why we were still in Afghanistan losing. The great warrior Sun Tzu was right in his classic book, The Art of War. To win war, one must first know themselves, and second, they needed to know their enemy. Official Washington and our military elites chose to create a fantasy, non-existent profile of our enemy. So clueless were they in the midst of American withdrawal? They flew the gay pride flag and touted gay pride month to the Taliban, the Taliban that tortures and kills gays. Official Washington provoked the enemy even while they were surrendering and making their way to the exits. The Biden team chose to redefine what America is 
when the Pentagon chose to teach our troops to be woke through critical race theory. And they chose to reject victory as the goal of war by creating such a bizarre shambles of their surrender that it appears to have been planned chaos designed to give America a global black eye. Before Joe Biden became commander-in-chief over the Afghan war, there hadn't been an American death in Afghanistan for 18 months under the leadership of President Donald Trump. The Biden administration appears to have gotten what they planned, a royal American defeat. In the wake of this tragic betrayal, the Biden administration left us with a treasury that's broke with a toppled superpower status, with a military trained not in victory and warfare, but in critical race theory, leading to a national self-loathing. And they seem to believe we should be thanking them for their troubles. Well, I for one do not. The sanitizing power of truth uncovers a multitude of sins. We, the American people, need to reject the official lies of Washington and our woke military elites. The American soldier deserves far better from their military and their politicians. We need to understand the truth about our enemies, and we need to reclaim our American identity and refuse to bow to the false narrative pushed upon America's children, which claims that America is an evil oppressor nation because we are not. America remains a force for good in the world because our original identity was founded upon a firm belief in the God of the Bible and upon his word. If America is to survive, it will be because we came to our senses and humbled ourselves before Almighty God and turned away from our lies and sins and surrendered to him completely. May God forgive our sins and heal our land. This we pray through his name, by his blood, by his word, and through his authority. Amen. I am not a deeply religious person in the orthodox sense. I was raised as a Christian. But clearly here, uh, Michelle Bachman is dovetailing her commentary on the situation in Washington and Afghanistan with her religious beliefs. But I find that I have a lot more in common with Christians than I do with the godless, murdering, and terrorizing communists who seem to have a great deal of currency with many powerful people in the world today. It's my opinion that what Biden did in Afghanistan was on purpose and directly or indirectly at the behest of his masters, the globalists and the communist Chinese. Communist China recently smugly declared through its propaganda mouthpiece Global Times that the sudden and cowardly complete withdrawal of the U.S. from Afghanistan, like that from Vietnam, shows that U.S. cannot be relied upon to defend its allies. These comments were directed at Taiwan, which the People's Republic of China said should sever its ties with Washington as the PRC continues preparations to invade and take over the critically strategic Taiwan. As President Trump's lawyer Rudy Giuliani has stated, there is considerable evidence that Biden is badly compromised by the communist Chinese. 
having, along with some of his family members, allegedly received tens of millions of dollars in direct payments from entities associated with the Communist Chinese Party. This would make Biden and these family members national security risks, to say the least. Yet nothing has been done about it. These statements in the Global Times propaganda organ included the prediction that Biden and the U.S. would likely do nothing to defend against the planned Taiwan invasion. And I would say they are right. I can't recall her name at the moment, but I saw a video some time ago of comments made by a woman who is a Chinese immigrant and now works at a U.S. think tank. She said the communist Chinese despise people who do not love their country. You can certainly make a good argument that Joe Biden is a communist Chinese asset, and it's clear to me that the red Chinese despise Biden from how they have dealt with and spoken about his administration. And it's also obvious to me that Biden has no love or respect for America, given that he's working so diligently to destroy it. One commentator has said that Biden's primary purpose in his life has been the enrichment of himself and his family. Now let's hear more commentary about the Afghanistan pullout from former special advisor to President Trump, Boris Epstein, on Steve Bannon's War Room radio and television program, August 28. Epstein, or Epstein uh, expresses the view of many in this country that the 2020 election was rigged to get rid of Trump, who was seen as a threat to the oligarchs' lucrative investments in communist China, and to install Biden in the White House as part of a plot to weaken and ultimately destroy the USA so it can eventually be turned over to the PRC as a vassal state. Play soundbite three, please. Friday. Boris Epstein, thank you. I realize we just got you by phone because we don't ha- don't have another way to get you. Can you get us the update? There's some big bombshells about to drop here, and we got to get to more than ever. This is imp- his illegitimacy now has got to be put out for the world to see. Okay, put out for no, the no, world no. to see. The elections no, have no. consequences. Stolen elections have catastrophic consequences, and that's what we're going through now. Boris Epstein. No doubt about it. It's the honor to be here on the solemn day, terrible day. And we screamed from the mountaintops all last year saying that Joe Biden is not anywhere near fit to be a leader. And those who pushed Joe Biden to run, those who backed his so-called campaign, those who let him hide in the basement, and then those who rigged the election, those who rigged the election. Perkins Coley, here's looking at you. Here's looking at you. Those people are responsible and have blood on their hands as much as Joe Biden and his feckless bunch of losers and cowards who are in this so-called administration, who are in the so-called administration. And what is happening now is that because of the pressure and the dedication from the war room posse, from the MAGA movement, you are seeing results. The Arizona report is going to drop any day, and the findings are huge. They're staggering. And then in Pennsylvania, credit where credit is due, I understand that Corman is doing the right thing, and we're, we're going to see hearings and subpoenas very shortly. They're acting over you – know, they're not going to wait until, you know, October or whatever. They're acting now. They're holding hearings in the, in the subpoenas that are going to come out of the hearings. Jay Corman, Chris Dosh, they're all in. And they better be all in. And by the way, if that doesn't happen, 
if if Labor Day and the week of Labor Day come and go and we don't see subpoenas, well, you're going to hear our wrath again. Always coloring within the lines, but you'll hear our wrath again. But right now, from everything I know in Pennsylvania, Jake Corman, Chris Dush, who's in charge of this investigation, are doing the right thing. And you're going to see a major, a major fight in Pennsylvania to get to the truth. To find out what the governor knew, to find out find out what the secretary of state knew, and to get to the bottom of the real election, the real vote count, the real legal vote count in Pennsylvania. And the, in terms of the Democrats, real quick, I want to I want to put, put one name yep, out there. Sure, Mark Elias, yep. the evil genius. Okay, they call oh, you know they secured the election. Time Magazine article: the blood of those Marines is on his hands he stole this election for joe biden and now this is what we have disgusting despicable and treasonous boris how can people uh, how can people follow you on on social media because i know uh, you've got tons of information coming out about this i want everybody to make sure they're following it 24 hours a day absolutely new website going up sign up at www.borisep.com on getter boris ep on twitter boris ep and, of course, hot on Instagram, Boris underscore Epstein. Stay strong. God bless. And condolences and prayers to those we lost yesterday. Wishing everybody strength and good Shabbos. If you are interesting, interested in finding commentary about Boris Epstein, remember he spells his name differently than the way it would normally be spelled. I believe it's E-P-E-S-H-T-E-Y-N. Uh, don't hold me totally. I, I, I haven't. I'm uh, past reading where I had his name. I'm not sure I had his name spelled correctly. Anyway, finally, <clears throat> regarding commentary on the U.S. Afghanistan debacle, debacle. Here's some audio from former Trump advisor Steve Bannon again, interviewing on his War Room program August 30. Sam Faddis, a former CIA intelligence officer, who refers to Biden's actions on Afghanistan as a humiliating defeat for the u.s play sound by four please sam so your thoughts about this hit the nail on the head when you just said it is much worse than it was right because we have gone in spent 20 years and there is no question that the way this is going down the way we're withdrawing the humiliation the the confusion the fact that we're having to beg the Haqqanis to let us leave alive. This is a humiliating defeat in front of the whole world. So just before we get to China and all the other people that are watching this, for the jihadist movement that that attacked us 20 years ago, this is ultimate victory. They're not done. They, they're not even thinking about being done. Osama has won the war. He has been proved correct. We have been defeated. We have not ended any war. We've just guaranteed that the war will continue, and a lot of it's now going to be fought here and elsewhere on the planet. That's all that's happened here. And Biden can We're spin have, this and yeah. lie about it. It doesn't matter. It doesn't change that. It the, doesn't make it not true. The, they're trying to spin it as like the Berlin airlift or some airbridge Dunkirk. That's not what's happened. By the way, The Economist... As you know, besides the Financial Times, my favorite publication, this is the magazine of the party of Davos. And look at today's headline. Where next for global jihad? 
We're next for Global Jihad. You know the answer? And everybody ought to get this magazine this week and read it. It's a 20-page special report. We're next for Global Jihad. You know what the answer to the economist is? Everywhere on this planet. Okay, everywhere on this planet. Everybody's sitting there, and Biden comes to the microphone and says, oh, we've ended this war. This war's just started. You, you may not have, and look, I'm not a neocon by anything. I, said, I was one who said, we've got to get out of here. But you have to do it in a way that you can take care of the bad guys and not just go and defeat. This was never Donald Trump's plan, and don't let Biden try to spin it. Don't let Blinken try to spin it. That's just an out. Don't let McMaster's, any of these clowns, spin it. That's just an outright lie. Steve Bannon here is referring to the leftist magazine, The Economist, as a publication of the party of Davos, referring to the globalist elitists and their World Economic Forum, who meet each year in Davos, Switzerland, where they plot and plan for their dream of a world government dominated by the likes of communist China under the banner of their new world order. I believe Bannon was making a point that even a publication of the left is now admitting that we're all going to be targets of Islamic terrorism now that Biden has so sheepishly surrendered to them in Afghanistan. These World Economic Forum business and government elites see the world COVID pandemic as an opportunity to impose this new world order under the guise of the pandemic supposedly showing a need to radically restructure the world's economies under leftist ideology. Bizarrely, these supposedly brilliant minds believe they will keep their power and their wealth after surrendering the countries of the world to communism or some form of it. How insane is that? This massive hope for economic and political restructuring is envisioned under the slogans, The Great Reset and Build Back Better. You may recall the bumbling, fumbling, stumbling Joe Biden using the phrase Build Back Better as one of his 2020 presidential campaign slogans, along with its use by the United Nations and the World Economic Forum. This all brings to mind the astonishing and bizarre what I call unholy, alliance between the communists and other elements of the political left and the capitalist elites of our day. You may also recall Time Magazine's post-2020 election article in which it cited the business titans, it called them, to, quote, fortify the 2020 election. Not to rig it, but to fortify it, they claimed. If you look at the, as lawyer Sidney Powell has observed, Trillions of dollars of lucrative investments these ultra-capitalists have in communist China. This alliance makes more sense. See, Trump had to go. He was a threat to their money. And yet they think communism is going to keep them rich. Well, if they remain in favor of those in power, they will stay rich. The red Chinese realize the insane greed of these business elites can be used to control them and I say ultimately destroy them, though many of them amazingly seem to believe that they will remain wealthy and powerful, as I said, while surrendering the U.S. to communist China. One of the main figures of this alliance between the communists and the capitalists is the mysterious and elusive yet frighteningly powerful George Soros, the former Georgi Swartz of Hungary, where he has been declared an enemy of the state Soros' Open Society Foundation's network of 
I believe they're mostly tax-exempt organizations funded with tens of billions of dollars of his vast fortune were instrumental in helping Biden get elected. Though from all the evidence surfacing, apparently not fundamental enough to have succeeded without a well-planned and extensive rigging of the election. By the way, a very good website on this topic is electionfraud20.org. That's electionfraud20.org. It has very good analyses of and statistics on the disputed election results by state and nationally. On the homepage of this site, it is stated, and I quote, The evidence of fraud during the U.S. 2020 elections has been often overlooked or minimized by mainstream media and news outlets. This site aims to summarize the allegations of fraud as presented in governmental hearings, courts, and investigative reports by state to provide an easy reference and portal for further research. Was the election fair and legitimate? Decide for yourself. End quote. There's a new book on Soros coming out at the end of this year. It's titled The Man Behind the Curtain, Inside the Secret Network of George Soros by the book's author, Matt Palumbo. Given his investments and influence in the mainstream media, you don't see or hear much about Soros, despite his strong influence in American and world politics through his foundation organizations and his massive financial support via donations to all manner of leftist organizations. Rudy Giuliani has stated that Soros is the main funder of the totalitarian communist Antifa organizations, as well as the Marxist-Leninist-Maoist Black Lives Matter organizations. Although of late Soros has offered some criticism of communist China, he has in the past declared that communist China has a better functioning government than the U.S. and that communist China must lead the new world order. Part of his public persona, as Palumbo has observed, is talking out of both sides of his mouth. Soros, by the way, has, as I understand it, and has had huge investments in communist China. Here's an interview from Australia's Sky News with author Matt Palumbo, which appeared August 27 on Sky News' YouTube channel. Please have about five, please. Joining me on Bernardi tonight, you've written a new book. It's about George Soros, and nothing raises the ire of those on the right than the mention of this man's name. Is the, the reputation as the bete noir of the right justified when it comes to George Soros? Yes, I mean he's uh, kind of the quintessential boogeyman figure on the right. Um, but you know, it's not there's nothing wrong with calling someone a boogeyman when they actually are a boogeyman. Um, and you know, part of the motivation for the book was you, you do see it, it is often overused. You know, anytime there's a, left, a new left wing movement, someone on the right will say it's Soros. So I just thought, you know, there are hundreds of organizations he funds. You know, there's no need to exaggerate or anything. So why not create a book where it's kind of a one stop reference for you know everything the guy has touched? Um, and I really try to divide the book into you know, like every facet of society that he could possibly influence. I have you know national elections in America and in Europe. I have local elections in America. I have colleges he's influenced. I, I have a whole chapter on you know leaked documents from the Open Society Foundation, his, his group, um, and really just every possible thing you, you could really go after. Um, 
and then at the end of the book, and I, I think this will be uh, very useful to people, um, is I have an appendix where I literally list every notable organization he's funded over the past two or three decades. Um, so if you ever you know see a new group pop up or see you know a name you don't recognize of a group, you can just go to the appendix uh, and just cross reference it and see if it's Soros backed. Um, and one of the other things he's been doing too, uh, particularly uh, at the end of his life, is he's creating this own uh, coalition of colleges called the Open Society uh, Foundation University Network, you know, as if colleges aren't liberal enough. Um, so I do the same thing at the end of the book, too. I just have a list of every college he's, he's influenced, and, you know, you can see if your kid is going to a Soros-backed college. So uh, much like some other books uh, I've done, it's, it's part reference book, uh, and I would say part critical biography. Well, one of the amazing things is the Open Society Foundations, which you mentioned there, spends, I think, $1.2 billion annually now. That's their, their budget. It flows onto organisations, which then fund other organisations. It's very opaque. But also, rather than fueling open societies, it seems to fund organisations that are actually wanting to subvert democracy, to practice identity politics, to suppress the free flow of speech and information. It's like it's actually counter to what it's professing to be. Is that accurate? Yeah, I would say uh, with many leftist organizations, it's uh, ironically named. Um, you know, the classic example is Antifa, where, you know, they'll go around, you know, beating people up. And if you oppose them, some leftists will say, what, they're just anti-fascist. And, you know, obviously no one would apply that to, you know, the, the Democratic People's Republic of North Korea. No one would say it's, it's a Democratic People's Republic because it's in the name. Um, but as for the foundation, um, the thing is, too, you know, Soros is, you know, statistically probably has four or five years of life left. Um, but his foundation is not going anywhere. And, and one one thing he did in recent years is he donated over $30 billion. It's the largest, uh, quote unquote, charitable donation in, in U.S. history, actually, uh, to his own foundation. So he's positioning it to really live on with, uh, with, uh, beyond him. Um, and, yeah, as you said, it's it's nothing is really you know getting done to, to fund anything tangible to really promote an open society. In fact, it's this sort of a totalitarian leftism that he's promoting. Yeah, if I recall during the um, 2020 presidential election, his son was actually a notable donor and appeared with Kamala Harris and maybe even Joe Biden in some, some photographs. So the foundation is going nowhere. Did they play a critical role in the 2020 US federal election? Yeah, so he actually really went all out in 2020. He donated more in the 2020 cycle um, than all other uh, prior U.S. elections combined. He, he started in about 2000. Um, so, yeah, he had a huge role there. And one thing that I think was the most significant was, and I actually think this probably – could have like been the most likely thing to have tipped the scales in favor of Biden. Um, it's he, he funded a number of groups that were that promoted vote by mail and expanded absentee voting. Um, now, one of the things about young people in America, um, and actually probably everywhere in the world, is they're the least conservative, or in America, the most anti-Trump, but they're also the least likely to actually show up and vote. So when you when you pass all these uh, um, expanded mail by voting laws, which I kind of justify with the pandemic, but are trying to keep now, you get all these young kids who otherwise wouldn't have voted, who you know now just get something in the mail, um, check a box, and, and it ends up damaging Trump. And, you know, there was, I think, two or three states that he only lost by ten or 20,000 votes. And, you know, voter fraud could have it probably played a role as well. But this is also the kind of thing that tips the scales. And the reason we know it benefits Democrats is because they're trying to keep it or make it permanent now. Yeah, it's a fascinating um, circumstance in America in particular, because the Democrats are doing everything they can to fiddle with the electoral system over there to disenfranchise people all under the name of uh, making elections more accountable. Um, and Soros clearly and other big uh, funders over there have, have provided this. 
Why is it that very wealthy people, tech people, billionaires like Soros, tend to be attracted to the left of center political parties? That's the weirdest. It's actually a question I've wondered for a while, because if you look at it by, by income, like generally speaking, or this isn't actually as much true in the past 10 years, but for most of American history, you know, generally speaking, the more income you, you, you have, the more likely you are to be on the right. But there, there seems to be, you know, some point where that curve inverts on the top. Um, and, you know, I, I don't really, I, admittedly, I'm not entirely sure what the psychology is. I don't know if it just becomes a, a, a class thing where they have disdain for the lower class. I don't know if, you know, they, they're at the top, and they want to protect themselves at the top and not let other people get to the top. But it, it is one of those very odd uh, parts about our politics. And, and the thing is, Soros isn't the only one. I mean, you have people like Tom Steyer, uh, Bill Gates, Warren Buffett. The list goes on. We had Sheldon Adelson, and, and that's pretty much it. Yeah, that's exactly right. And you've left out the uh, tech tyrants as well, as we refer to them down here. Oh, yeah, um, yeah, of course. With Zuckerberg yeah. and co., who have done more than just throw money at it, of course. They have uh, influenced and manipulated social media and, and the internet in order to fuel their political aspirations. Now, finally, before I let you go, what. Um, what motivated you to, to write this book? It's obviously not malice. Was it about transparency? Because every time people mention Soros's name, there seems to be uh, a cover-up operation in the media to, to suppress his influence. Was it about transparency or is it just a bit of um, uh, payback for uh, those on the, who are supporting the left? Well, a little bit of both. It is funny you say that. I actually do have a section in the book where, you know, I'll, I'll find organizations that are playing cover for Soros and then proving how they're linked to Soros. Um, and it's actually a, pre a pretty common theme. Um, you know, my main motivation for the book was I figured, you know, and I might be repeating myself a bit here, but I figured, you know, Soros is near the end of life. There's just really not a, a up-to-date, comprehensive look at his life. And I just wanted a book that would be sort of a... Uh, more or less the only thing you'd need to read about Soros, and you'd pretty much get everything you know. It's It covers his whole life. You get all the dirt. And ironically, uh, actually, a lot of the dirt on Soros is, is things he admits throughout his books, all of which I read in preparation. Um, and, you know, I just want conservatives to have, you know, kind of a uh, re, you know reality-based understanding on who this guy is and, and know how to criticize him, correct, uh, criticize him correctly. Well, I can't wait to read it. It's out in December. Where can people pre-order it now? Uh, so far, we're on Barnes and Noble's website and also Amazon. Um, and yeah, we'll have also you know ebook, um, audiobook, and all that uh, out in December. Fantastic, great work, Matt Palumbo. Thank you so much for your time tonight. I really appreciate it, and we'll have you back on Bernardi sometime soon. Excellent. Thanks for having me on. I'm looking forward to seeing what Palumbo has to say in his new book. I wanted to end from pro-Trump attorney Lynn Wood. Lynn Wood stated on his Telegram.org channel, August 29, quote, In addition to communists and communist sympathizers, don't forget the category of communist compromised officials. Some compromised by communist blackmail, others compromised by communist money. You have a choice. Take your head out of the sand and fight to fix the 2020 election or leave it in the sand and accept a complete communist takeover of America, end quote. Congressman Michael Waltz of Florida has said that our whole country is awash in communist Chinese money. You can see what Lynn Wood is getting at here. Think about that. 
the next time you want to buy something and learn it's made in communist China. Well, that's it for another show. As always, we hope you found the content of value. You can listen to a podcast of the show that will be posted in a few days on the webpage of The Jim Benson Show on bbsradio.com. Look for us again with our next show two weeks from today in the same time slot. Have a great rest of your day and evening.